Welcome inside the Locked On Senators podcast. I'm Ross Levitan, back with the whole crew, Brandon Piller and Chris Parliament. Parliament, I heard your built bars arrived. I got my built bar package, boys. And Piller, you were going on and on about how they're all covered in chocolate. You love how much chocolate's in there. I'm going to read you two flavors because I can't figure out which one I like more. You'll hear the common denominator because I'm a sucker for it. Are you kidding me with banana chocolate cream and banana nut bread? Like anything banana in it, you got me hooked right away and it's good for me. Not to uh, toot my own horn here, but I'm an essential worker. So that protein, hey, it comes in handy when I'm slaving away and uh, trying to pay taxes for everyone that can't be. I well, understand. What's awesome about it too, Parley, is those who are, you know, in a tough time financially, as we most of us are finding ourselves, we're giving $10 off. All you need to do is put in promo code locked on when you go to builtbar.com and you can get $10 off your full box of built bars. And that's going to be less than whatever you're buying for energy after a workout. These built bars are made to not fill you up with all that gross sugar. Three grams. That's it. Three grams. Most of these. Oh man, it is just insane. And what else do you like about it, Parley? Well, here's some exciting news. Don't call it a comeback, Built Bar fans. Cookie Dough is back on the roster, out of retirement, available in Canada. And Pilsy, you've gone on about a couple different flavors covered in chocolate, but you've also gone on about German hockey players at nauseum. We talked about it off air. How did you not mention German chocolate cake? Parley, that was last episode. It's Deutsch Schokoladkuchen. I gave you guys another German lesson. So we're actually going to probably incorporate German lessons as we get closer to the top because Team Stutzel might uh, make an appearance near the top of our draft rankings, the German product. That's coming up later in the episode. But first, we got to get back to part two of our Belleville Senators eulogy with David Foote. That's coming up later in the show. Remember, right now, pause the episode, go to BuiltBar.com and use promo code LOCKEDON. $10 off your first purchase. This is the Locked On Senators podcast, your team every day. Today is Friday, May 15th. Boys, what a game they showed on TSN 5 last night. It was the epitome i think of what the hamburglar run was all about the comeback at home third last game of the year you need the points Sidney crosby comes in opens the scoring 10 seconds in it looked like the whole season had fallen apart pilsy how did they manage to pull that off the hamburglar stepped in and uh he was robbing guys left, right, and center. And that Hamburglar run, I will always remember. It was just so magical. And that was one of those things where it became something bigger than just a sports story. Like, it be- it was a news story. Like, it was crazy how this guy came out of nowhere and was winning games uh, night in, night out. So, definitely loved the Hamburglar run. Too bad he couldn't have kept that magic going. And, uh kind of sputtered off in Sen's history and ended up blocking a lot of the younger goalie prospects. But we'll always remember the good times of the Hamburglar run. Oh, how can we not, right? Like 21 and 2. Uh, Parley, like how, how can you even put that into words? And before you answer, I always love to go back 
to the fact that he was not even in the top half of the American Hockey League in save percentage. When he got called up for that run, he had an 898 save percentage in 25 AHL games and then bolts up to a 941 in the National League. How does that even happen? I don't know. It was it was a magical run. And what was interesting about it was, as a fan, it became one of those things where it was, well, you're, you're wanting your team to win hockey games, but at the same, to try and make a run here. But they seemed out of it. And then you mentioned it, that magical 21-2. and two, And you just go for an absolute run. And then all of a sudden, you're right back in it. You got two reasons to watch the game. You got a big push for the playoffs on but you're also cheering for the Hambler burglar to come through and keep that incredible record going. It was so fun to watch because it just felt like as soon as that third period started and they were right there in every game, it was like you got that little bit of a sweat going for the guy you wanted so badly to win it. And then again, as the wins kept piling and piling and piling, you realized, hey, this team's knocking on the door. And then it kept going, hey, this team's going to make the playoffs. What was great too is They didn't know they were making the playoffs until that last afternoon game in Philly, right? So they beat Pittsburgh in the game that was shown on TSN 5. It was down 3-0, then 3-1. Then Hoffman makes it 3-2. or Sorry, Stone makes it 3-2. Hoffman ties it late, 3-3. And then in overtime, Stone skate to stick. One of the most iconic regular season goals in Sens history. And then they go to Philly and Mark Stone again, steel snipe Selly, the Mark Stone story in Philly. And that was what it took to clinch. And Andrew Hammond, 34 saves in that game. But that got me thinking a bit bigger picture. Pilsy, what is your favorite regular season? We talk a lot about the playoffs, but regular season moment um, that you remember for the Ottawa Senators. Well, we actually discussed this. Uh, I forget when this was, but in, in a previous episode and, the first thing that always comes to mind is the smiling face of Ray Emery as he's taking on his second fight in the same shift against Peters after absolutely embarrassing Marty Biron. So that game was just so good because like Ray Emery, it seems like he coaches and media and everyone was constantly pulling the reins on him, trying to get him to focus on just being a goalie and kind of turn down his attitude a little bit, but that's where he got to uh, shine and show his personality. And he was just loving it. And I can't imagine laughing and chuckling as you're gassed from fighting once and then getting into another fight right away as a goalie with all that equipment on. So I love that. I love that moment uh, with Ray Emery and the Sabres there. You know, this one's tough for me, uh, just to piggyback onto that one. I mean, obviously there's so many good memories in, in situations like that. One of my favorite memories is actually, you guys were both there. Uh, we were in our apartment at the time, Ross, when you're still in, and we had about 20 people crammed around. I think every surface turned into a seat that night. Everyone came over, and I would say about 17 or 18 of those people were Leaf fans. And the Senators were playing the Leafs Saturday night, hockey night in Canada. The Leafs score a big goal, and it looked like it was about to be over. Then Guy Boucher calls a timeout, and you said it earlier. Mark Stone picks it off. The steel snipe, Sally, Mark Stone story. The Sens are right back in it. They turn around and win that hockey game. All the boys go home sad as Leafs fans, and we're just sitting in the apartment smiling because we got Mark Stone. Hey, well, at least... 
at least they're used them. to that, right? <laughs> exactly. I'm going to go way back as the elder statesman of the podcast and always told that I, I bring back the older memories. I'm going to have to go way back to 1997, probably one of my first memories watching the Ottawa Senators. I was one. 12th. I was one years old, Ross. Well, Parley, you definitely remember this game then. How could you not? A one nothing victory at home against Buffalo. Steve Duchesne scoring with four minutes left allowing the Sens to not only win their third straight game, and even more than that, they had won seven of their last nine games to clinch the playoffs on the last day of the season. So similar to the Hamburglar run, except this was the first time the Sens ever qualified for the postseason. So to do that on home ice in the situation they were in was awesome and doing it not not to mention against the best goalie in the National Hockey League's history, Dominic Hasek. Eh, uh, you could say Hasek got the better of them once they made it to the playoffs, but competitive, they made it seven games against the Sabres, who were perennial Stanley Cup favorites. They actually made it to the, the Stanley Cup Finals two years later. So I just think that that's an awesome memory, maybe one that gets lost in history a little bit. So I uh, wanted to bring that one up, but both you guys had some good ones as well. Um, talking about Sens memories it is the anniversary of the day the Ottawa Senators went up 3-0 on the Buffalo Sabres in 2007. Ultimately won it in seven or five games, but that 3-0 game, it was the most classic Sens game ever. Ray Emery gets a 15-save shutout, doesn't have to do much work, and who do you think scored? Alfie. Alfie from Spezza and Heatley. No surprise anywhere along those lines. I was trying to find some highlights of that game this morning. No luck. So it'll have to just be a distant memory. It sucks because you know, the NHL, they started publishing every game. I think it was the year after that. Like we just missed out on having all this, uh, archived content. Um, but it's still good when you get a glimpse here and there. And, uh, I implore everyone to go check out on YouTube. Just type in Spezza, Alfredson, and Heatley, and there's an awesome video of them going to absolute work on the entire NHL. Um, from a team, from a line that did damage to the NHL to a team that did damage in the American Hockey League. Boys, I think without further ado, we should finish off the uh, interview with two-part interview. So if you didn't hear part one, you can go download that right after. Here's part two of our interview with Belleville Senators color commentator, David Foote. Pillsy, this is a goalie-friendly show. We all know that. So why don't you lead off with Between the Pipes? Yeah, so this, maybe we're awarding a number one spot or uh, maybe not. We'll see with your answer. But interestingly enough, Joey Decord and Philip Gustafson had the same amount of games played with 24 in Belleville. Same amount of wins with 15. However, their numbers are very different when you're looking at goals against average and save percentage. Joey with a 2.61 uh, goals against average and Gustafson all the way up at 3.23. So definitely different goal support and uh, different uh, numbers for both of them there. And it really seemed like throughout the season that Joey was taking hold of that number one spot. Troy Mann really trusted him and uh, uh, put him in the crease a lot more in important nights. So do you think that Gustafson just needs a little bit more time to develop and maybe he can uh, blossom into that guy that we wanted him to when he came along in the Brassard trade? Or do you think Joey's going to fully take the number one spot? Or option number three, are they going to have more of a tandem um, goalie option and split time in the crease a little more coming uh, next season? 
I mean, from my personal opinion, if, if I'm the coach, I want two guys. I want guys that I can be confident with uh, on any given night. It doesn't matter who's in net. You're going to get a strong performance. Um, and, you know, that just helps with longevity. And uh, I think just as far as team chemistry goes, it's nice to have two guys and not have Especially one. Especially with all the back-to-backs in the AHL as well. So many, yeah. And, and Belleville, I think, only had two or three three-and-threes this season, which, which helped. Um, but two, two guys is always better than one. That said, if I have to pick one, uh, it might surprise some given his, uh, lack of professional experience, if you will. But Joey Decord to me is the number one. Um, I mean, you mentioned they had identical records, but Decord's confidence is like, it's through the roof. And, uh, a lot of people forget, you know, they're, they're both early in their pro careers, Decord and Gustafson, but Joey Decord's got a few years. Uh, on Philip Gustafson. Gus is just a young buck still. And um, I think there was also a lot of pressure put on him because the goaltending situation in the organization was drastically different when he got brought in than it is now, right? Look at the names uh, outside of, of, of Nielsen and, and Anderson. Uh, Hoggy is up, I think, next year. Um, and then you've got Gus. Even Sogard wasn't drafted at that point. Yeah, Mad Sogard is that guy's a beast too. Um, yeah, I I think it's Decord. Gus, he needs a confidence boost. Like I talked to him a fair bit throughout the course of the season, uh, and he had a rough go to start the year. And uh, he's you know goaltenders are strange cats, and he was <laughs> in his head a lot at the beginning of the season as far as not feeling prepared. And he told me at one point, you know, um, I I just don't feel ready. And I need to get my mindset to a place where when the puck drops, I feel like I'm two periods in already. Uh, I think he's got a little bit to work on on the mental side. Obviously, the pedigree's there. Uh, but Decord, just based on this year's performance, would would take the reins, I think, in my books. Man, at least he's self-aware because not only that, that speaks to a bigger issue. And I found you knew two minutes into the game what you were going to get out of Philip Gustafson. And sometimes it was Absolutely. two goals in the back of the net. And you just can't be playing from behind, especially um, at home, which is where we got to see him most. And yeah, there were at least four or five games where you're behind the eight ball right away and you could just see it in his body language. But then he did have a couple of games where everything was sticking to him like Velcro and he was eating pucks and getting quick whistles. And that's what he needs to bring into next season. Good point, though. Yeah, a lot of people do similar to to um, Will Annan on the back end, having those extra years of experience, the three years for both he and Decord uh, staying in college for, uh, until past their junior season. So, yeah, I'm with you on that. I would even say Dak had a better AHL season than Hogberg. I know uh, Hoggy was great last year, but he was okay at the start of the season. Yeah, I thought he was better in the NHL than he was in, in the American League this season. I know you're a big Hogberg fan too, aren't you, Dave? Yeah, I like Hoggy a lot. Uh, it was tough to watch him get shelled the way that he did up in Ottawa as many nights as he did. He didn't get a whole lot of help in front of him. But, uh, um, yeah, just based on games played, like he was he was slow out of the gate too. Uh, and then kind of, uh, I think, embraced the call-up that he got and realized that the you know at a certain point when he knew Nilsson was going to be out for a while, Something obviously flipped in his head, and he goes, "All right, this is my chance. Uh, I got to show what I can do." And uh, you know, despite his NHL record, I, I think he played a lot better than than what that showed. And uh, Footy, before we move uh, on to defensemen, now I just want to ask you. You talked a lot about Gustafson uh, needing confidence, and 
he was put in a spot where he pretty much had to play every game at the start of the season. There wasn't a lot of options uh, with Hogberg injured and the, the goalie situation in Ottawa. So do you think that maybe there's a chance that they send Gustafson to Brampton to get his confidence up? Uh, maybe a lesser league, a lesser competition where he can, uh, you know, get those games where he maybe gets a shutout and he gets some goal support and he's seeing more pucks. Do you think that's something beneficial or do you think that would kind of maybe lower his confidence and maybe think that the team doesn't believe in him enough to keep him in Belleville? I think it depends on who else is here. If if Hogberg ends up uh, coming back, then yeah, I think Gus has to go to Brampton uh, because you'd you'd much rather have him play and hopefully play well uh, than sit on you know not even on the bench, sit in the bleachers uh, in street clothes. Uh, at the same time, you know that's a that's a delicate line to go down to the ECHL because should it not go your way, and for all intents and purposes, it should. Uh, that can can be a real hammer on the confidence. So, um, I mean, there was some thought this year that if, if Nielsen gets healthy and Hogberg comes back, we had that debate weekly at, at the rink. You know, who, who goes? And for me, it was always Gus who needed to go down, even though Joey Decord was supposed to play a lot of the season in Brampton. So uh, it'll depend, I think, on what happens in Ottawa, but I would not be surprised uh, to see Gus go down for a bit of seasoning. Yeah, the, the the goalie carousel in this franchise has just been so fascinating. We, it's we've, talked, we've talked about it over and over, and I'm sure it'll get more intriguing uh, as things go on. So let's move to the defenseman in Belleville. And it's you got to scratch your head when you're looking at this because this should have been a defense core that had experienced guys like Yaros, uh, Lajoie, Brandstrom. Should have had Willinen for a little bit. And they ended up playing, I don't know, maybe you probably don't even know the number either, but how many guys did they have on PTOs, call-ups from Brampton, uh, guys that... Stuart Percy twice, right? (laughs) Yeah. Yes. Stu signed a deal and he barely played the, the last half of the season. I think he played one game. Yeah, it was crazy. There were so many times I'm coming to the rink and I'm only counting five defensemen on my hand that are available. And then a sixth guy who I've never heard of <laughs> just drove down from uh, wherever and he's now a Belleville senator. So having said that, it did not turn out the way they wanted it to on the back end. But of the bright spots in uh, Belleville, who would you say was the best overall defenseman for the Belleville centers this season? Well, and, and if we're completely ignoring guys that we're expecting to be in Ottawa necessarily, uh, I mean, there, there's a lot of names. We talk about Willannon. You talk about Brandstrom, uh, Yarosh, Lajoie didn't have a, a great season in in my books. Um, for me, it's it's a couple guys that Sens fans, Ottawa fans that don't pay attention to Belleville laugh at, uh, and it's Hubert Labrie, uh, far and away. If we're looking at guys who... The best defenseman for the Belleville Senators this season was Hubert Labrie. Um, a plus 24 rating among the league leaders. And I don't care what league you play in. To finish plus 24 is not an easy thing to do. Uh, he was you know, not super potent offensively, and that's an uh, extreme understatement. Um, but he was a steady veteran guy. I think he led by example for a lot of, the, a lot of those young defensemen uh, on the decor. He was outstanding. Uh, I also think Jonathan Aspero had an incredible season um, for a guy who people were not expecting maybe anything from, certainly not expecting him to make the team, let alone get as much of uh, Troy Mann's trust and confidence as he did. 
yeah, he was excellent uh, for them as well. So uh, Labrie and Aspro certainly turned heads, I think, the most uh, outside of the guys that, you know, are really being watched prospect-wise. Yeah, Aspro coming out of Canadian University. And you mentioned maybe guys who don't know um, Hubert Labrie. Well, if you paid attention, former captain of the local Gatineau Olympique. He definitely took the uh, long way, but it was awesome to see he got that NHL contract at the end of it. So he'll be making substantially more money uh, than I'd imagine he made it at all in his career. Uh, before we move on from defenseman, I just wanted to touch, you mentioned the good plus minus and right under uh, Labrie's plus 24 was Christian Yarosh with his plus 20. I've been super high on him since he was 19 or 20 and watching him uh, run around with with his head cut off in the Swedish league, just trying to take everyone, uh, <laughs> knock everyone out through the neutral zone. But have you seen, for me, it's, he needs to calm his game down in, in his own zone. He's so quick to just throw the puck away. Have you noticed maybe a bit more patience uh, to his game? Because his points might not be there, but I don't think he's ever going to be a defenseman that's cracking 30 points. Um, yeah, Yarosh, I, I, you know, he dealt with some injury problems this year as well. Um, and that obviously kept him out of the lineup for, uh, for a while. Um, and I don't, I don't really know, uh, what fans necessarily expect out of Christian Yarosh. Cause he's, he's not the biggest guy out there. Uh, he's uh, not Anton the Volchenkov clone would be nice. Yeah, that'd be all right. Um, yeah, I, I think uh, I think again, he's one of those guys that just needs a you know a little bit more attention uh, to detail, uh, a little bit more seasoning, and uh, it can be tough to not rush those decisions. Right, you get the puck, you want to get rid of it before there's guys on you. Um, with experience, I think will come some better results from from Yarosh as well. And again, the health is a big thing. Uh, the more you can stay healthy, the more you're going to play and uh, that's probably a big key for him development wise is to just get more reps and, uh, and spend a little bit more time on the ice. So one of the uh, benefits I think to this team and why it was so successful is there were so many guys with a taste of the NHL. We mentioned on the back end, Yarosh, uh, Lajoie, Willannon up front, guys like Batherson had a taste last year and Formington making the team out of camp for two years in a row. But you mentioned Rudy Balsers being, um, the most NHL ready. Um, I think we've already touched on that enough. So I want to go to who you thought the most improved player was year over year from the, from, uh, what you saw at the end of last season to most recently. Uh, well, we didn't get him for all of last season cause he was brought in via trade. Uh, but for me, it's Vitaly Abramov, um, 41 points this year, 29 points the previous season. Uh, he made huge strides this year in his game away from the puck. I think anybody who's seen uh, Abe play knows his play style, and that's get puck, go to net. Uh, that's pretty much his, uh, his M.O., and he's real good at that. What he had some difficulty with at the start of this season was um, kind of similar to a, to a Brandstrom is when to get rid of the puck, uh, when to dish off, when to chip deep, um, you know, when to hold on to it instead of making a pass in a dangerous spot. He ended up in Troy Mann's doghouse a couple of times early on in the season for some, uh, you know, somewhat boneheaded moves that ended up in the back of the Belleville net. And um, he was scratched, healthy scratch once or twice because of that. I think he got the message and like I say, was able to go on and, and notch 41 points. Um, and to me, improvement comes from learning from your mistakes and 
Uh, he did that probably better than than anyone on this roster, figuring out uh, you know where he needed to improve, what he needed to be stronger in, and for him it was his away from the puck play. And um, I think it made a huge difference. Uh, you know, instead of trying to just take the puck and go to the net, use the guys that you're playing with, and uh, you know try to create a little bit more space when you don't have the puck. Um, but he was for sure for me the the most improved player. Yeah, I really liked uh, Bramov's game down the stretch, and he had an amazing uh, game where he had a hat trick, and then um, he blocked a shot, and I think broke his finger, and then that kind of really stifled his offensive production uh, down the stretch, eh? Yeah, he did, a couple times he, he hurt that hand, and yeah, um, the yeah the game he he had the hat trick. I believe he broke his finger in like the first period, yeah, and finished the game. And and had the hat trick. Um, that's a guy who does not like to be out of the lineup. Uh, I think he broke his nose too at one point uh, in uh, in a game late in the season. Well, late in the season, uh, <laughs> near the end of the season, we should Way say. Way to pick at an open wound. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, and and came back. He's a tough dude, and I think I think he starts the season in in Belleville because uh, he's not very big. But that's a guy who will likely come in this year with a chip on his shoulder. And something to prove. Yeah, he's a fun player to watch too. Electric. Another former Gatineau Olympique as well. So fans in the Ottawa area have uh, been able to watch him play. Actually won the MVP of the Quebec League while he was uh, playing Gatineau. So he's been able to produce at that level. He was a rookie at the NHL level. But let's talk about rookies at the AHL levels. And this leads into the MVP. I don't know actually yet. I know that none of us had the same guy for both. But many Sens fans do. Do you have one, the same guy for both, and then who is your rookie of the year? Well, be- because uh, there was so much young talent and, and rookie depth on this team, I decided to split them up. Uh, Josh Norris very well could have taken both, uh, but Josh Norris is my MVP, without a doubt. Uh, 61 points in 56 games, uh, leads the team in scoring uh, among the league leaders in a number of categories, including what uh, points, goals, shots, uh, you name it, he made Belleville's power play uh, pretty deadly at times, I will say, because they were uh, awfully quiet at other times. For me, the big thing is is you break down the 61 points, 31 and 30. Like, he's a guy who can score and find open teammates. Um, he's, he's an all-around player to me, and it did not take long to realize what the Senators had in a guy like that. Uh, he's the MVP without a doubt. Uh, followed closely by Alex Formanton, who would be my rookie of the year. Um, 54 points in 44 games is, uh, uh, you know, nothing to turn your head at. And um, as I mentioned a little bit earlier on, turned into a valuable point, uh, a piece of the penalty kill for Troy Mann. Uh, three overtime winners, uh, one of which you also mentioned in that highlight pack that uh, sends prospects put together. Um, at five empty netters as well. And people might go, ah, oh, well, that's you know, that's just Pat in the stats. Uh, he only scored 16 goals, and five of them came in the empty net. But to me, that just speaks volumes about uh, his responsibility with the puck and the confidence that a coach like Troy Mann has in him to be on the ice late in the game. Um, and again, I, it's probably not long until he ends up in the NHL, but I think he starts in Belleville this coming season. 
I thought it was awesome, too, that Troy Mann stuck with the two veterans alongside Alex Formanton this year with Carcone and Jordan Suarez. What a what a revelation. I thought that was just kind of a gar- not garbage, but a, an unheralded signing in the summer, getting Jordan Suarez off free wow. agency. He wears the C. He plays in all situations. couple tilts standing up for the younger guys. Um, maybe you could speak to what that veteran presence meant uh, surrounding Formanton with. Yeah, that's huge, and you could really notice it when Swartz got hurt and was out for a little bit, the the gap that was left there. I mean, he's not the most skilled player in the American Hockey League, um, but he's a great player, and he's gritty, and the experience it, in this league, like it's, as much as you got to have good young players, you have to have those experienced guys in the AHL because it's arguably the toughest league in the world to play in. And if you don't have a, a guy with that kind of experience to learn from, I don't think you're going to get very far. Um, that was a, an incredible, excuse me, uh, uh, decision and signing uh, by the Sens brass to bring Jordan Swartz in, and, and a no-brainer for Troy Mann, I think, to slap the C on his jersey. Uh, I believe he's one of the few guys who is uh, up for contract this summer. He might, he might be signed. Uh, Carconi who you mentioned, is signed, and that's a guy who needs to do more this year. He, he, was, he was frustrated at times. Um, and, I mean, we saw him with Utica a couple of years ago, uh, with Toronto uh, last year, and, I mean, he's flashy, and at times he's, like, real tough to stop, but just didn't really seem to be able to get it going uh, this year and played a little bit more of a support role. Yes, yeah, Suarez's contract needs renewing, and he could be challenged by another youngster coming in, Mark Kastelich, uh, who'll be down the middle in Belleville too. Who I think you you got to see him at rookie tournament as well, right? One mm-hmm. of them. He's a big boy. And, I was uh, waiting for that signing because uh, I think they should have locked him up right after the rookie tournament yep. based on how he played. At- and the dub was a joke for him. Oh yeah, he, he put up fifty five yeah. goals two years ago. And I, I wouldn't expect uh, him to do that coming into the AHL, but you can't have uh, too many big bodies in this league, in my mind. Uh, you got to have that little bit of toughness. Uh, circling back to your question about uh, optimism for the coming season, but uh, there is a lot to look forward to. I'm excited to see uh, to see uh, Kostalik play for sure. Yeah, that's going to be an exciting addition too. And I just want to touch more on the veteran presence a little bit too, um, because we all know that like the cupboard is absolutely stocked with young prospects, young talent, high offensive guys, and it's only going to get more stocked with all these picks that the Senators have coming up. But just it's, I think it's so important that guys like, and I thought this was probably one of their best moves all year when they brought back Darren Archibald. You need guys that bring that toughness that have that AHL experience because you can't have four lines of guys who just want to put the puck in the net. It just guys aren't getting their shine and uh, they're not getting their opportunities that they feel like uh, they should get if they're down on the fourth line. Uh, Do you think that the Belleville centers need to obviously keep some of that veteran presence, but maybe even add some more of that veteran presence coming next season, especially if more younger guys um, enter the Belleville system. I mean, geez, some of these guys, like they're barely even legal drinking age and you could <laughs> put a full lineup of them. Right. So like they just need some guys who have gone through the grind, who have been in the AHL playoffs. Uh, what's your opinion on that? Yeah, I think the more experience you have to, to supplement the young players, the better. Um, I mean, Darren Archibald is just an absolute beauty. Uh, after coming back, I mean, he, he was with Toronto, right. Most of the year, uh, was okay 
I don't think he stood out as much uh, as he did when he came back to Belleville. And, um, you know, a lot of people might turn their nose up at a, at a guy like that. But uh, you ask anybody in, in Utica where he played for a handful of seasons about Darren Archibald, and they'd tell you we'd have him back in a heartbeat. Um, he only had three games, I think, where he didn't register a point after returning to Belleville. Uh, and he's one of those guys, like, let's be honest here. Belleville is not the most glamorous city to play in, right? Like that's, that's a given when, when you can be in Toronto or Laval or, or wherever, San Diego Ontario, or something, yeah. San Jose, like you name it. There are of, of 31 teams in the league. There are probably 29 that guys would rather play in than Belleville. Wow, that was better than Bingo though. Better yeah, than that is exactly where the hammer was coming down on there. <laughs> And well, and I would put them maybe on par. I don't know. I mean, I've lived in Belleville like 15 years now, so I shouldn't I'm crap. Sure the, I'm pretty sure the corners are like square in Binghamton, though. So yeah, I, that's an old rink. It's not a terrible rink, but it's that's a barn for sure. Um, but my my point being, uh, Arch was fine with coming back to Belleville. I think he relished coming back here. Uh, he knew there was absolute need for a player like him. And, uh, and he, he just took the reins in that opportunity and, and was outstanding. And he played on that line with LeBate. And uh, I think they slid Baptiste in there at the end of the season. Um, and they were just so difficult to play against and, and were scoring as well. So uh, I think that's uh, absolutely crucial that they get more guys like that. Um, but at the same time, it's the AHL. you got to leave room for... Uh, for your young guys uh, to get them the experience too. David Foot from the CJBQ, am I right? CJBQ. Uh, I've been so long since I've been down there, but um, no, it's awesome. <laughs> I'm going to leave you with these two things. One, what I asked last time: Will the Belleville Senators have more points next year? Ah, I can't even say points because they didn't finish the season. Will they be higher in the standings next season? Or what they did this year, third in the Eastern Conference. Uh, well, it's tough to get better than first in the division, guys. Let's uh, let's be honest. I, I think know. that's that's a fair spot to shoot for. Um, it's tough to say. I mean, with the amount of guys who are still unsigned, I, I think you know one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. There's at least seventeen guys who are into free agency uh, this summer. So it's, it's tough to really put a, a solid prediction together, I think. Um, depending on who comes back, I, you know, uh, Troy Mann has finally, I think, got his systems and his structure in place, and there's going to be a, enough returning guys that will be able to help you know, build on what was, what was done this season. Uh, it's tough to say. Um, this was a really, really good hockey club this year. Uh, they're, you know probably would have gone in third round. I have some people who think they might have trouble getting out of the division out of the second round, uh, just based on how tough the North is. But I think they were going to at least the East final, if not further, uh, if not, you know, potential to win a Calder cup. Troy Mann thought he had a championship team uh, to work with here this season, uh, especially if, if they had gotten to that point and got some guys back from Ottawa, uh, you know, boy, who, who knows? Um, they would have been real tough to beat, but uh, I'm going to reserve judgment. I'm going to say, uh, for now, it would be difficult to uh, to you know eclipse what this team did this season. But 
uh, hopefully I'm wrong. Hey, I like that sitting right on the fence and uh, this is a, a whole can of worms, but when you, uh, we, we can't dig too deep into it now. It's kind of a shame that we're leaving it to the very end, but I would argue that a deep playoff run and Troy Mann is an NHL is on an NHL bench next year. So this whole cancellation may allow an extra year in the American league. And how can we talk about Belleville for nearly 40 minutes and not talk about who we unanimously had the MVP. And we got outvoted on Twitter. The majority had you and, and Josh Norris. But just uh, to end off here, give us a prediction of Drake Batherson point total in the National Hockey League next season. Put up 10 in 23 points in 23 games this year. Oh, that's tough. Like, uh, I mean, that, that way you have to consider how many is he going to play a full season? I would lean, yeah. I, I would lean a lot closer to yes going into next season than I did going into this season. Uh, Cause I was a little bit upset last season when they called him up when they did, uh, when he was just absolutely obliterating the American hockey league offensively. Um, but he did the same again this year. And, and that's like my point with Josh Norris. If you can uh, put up those types of numbers in this league for two years, you're ready. Uh, I think he's ready. I think with a full season, let's say 30 points safely and potential for more depending on uh, on you know again his offseason who he has around him and all the other factors that come into to you know a guy putting up big numbers but uh, I'm I would put money on him starting the season in the NHL for sure yeah Drake Batson fourth in assists in the AHL this year sixth in points fourth in points per game he was an all-star on the ice and you were an all-star in the booth Mr. David Foot with CJBQ Belleville and the co-host of the Around the A pod. And you guys, just uh, to end off here, you guys have an interview coming out with the commish. Yeah, big get for us uh, at Around the A. Uh, we got about a half hour with Dave Andrews. Um, not sure when you guys are putting this up, but uh, uh, ours will be up on uh, on May 14th. So uh, you should be able to find that uh, on the Sports Podcasting Network uh, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Uh, just look for Around the A with David Foote and Patrick Williams. Uh, it helps if you type the full name in. But uh, yeah, uh, really good, candid conversation with uh, uh, a very optimistic, I'll say, Dave Andrews, who was uh, pretty sure that we're going to have AHL hockey in some form coming up this season, whenever that starts. And uh, I'll leave that as a teaser, in some form, because he discusses a few things that uh, might surprise a lot of hockey fans. Oh, man, that's music to my ears. So hopefully we're seeing you back around the a soon uh at caa arena footy thanks a lot for taking the time with us today it's always a pleasure to catch up with you anytime guys appreciate you having me on thanks footy that interview and the locked on senators podcast is brought to you by built bar all the protein none of that extra stuff just four grams of sugar 20 grams of protein and a $10 discount. Are you serious with that? Yeah, I am. Type in promo code locked on and go to builtbar.com. Maybe do it in the other order though, because you want to get to the website first and then plug in locked on to get $10 off your first box of Built Bars. Pilsy, how many flavors does Built Bar have? We got 16 amazing flavors, Ross. Eight chocolate slash nut flavors and then if you have nut allergies they've got eight chocolate uh nut free flavors so that's good for everyone and ross a flavor that i've been digging lately 
I love the mix of salty and sweet, salted caramel chocolate. Ooh. Yeah, I was talking one. about that one as well. But for you and I, we're easier to please. Parley, picky eater. But even you love built bars. I'm on a huge fruit kick lately. You know, you get some more fresh fruit as the weather gets nicer. And uh, you're not missing out with that. With Bilt Bar, you got black cherry chocolate cream, raspberry chocolate cream, orange chocolate cream. Uh, it, they really incorporate like really everyone's f- like food preferences. So yeah, it's it's unreal. Sixteen flavors, you can't go wrong. No, you can't go wrong at all, and you can get yours right now. They're soft, easy to chew, and they're hundred percent covered in chocolate. Go to builtbar.com. Use promo code locked. On. All right, boys, without further ado, it's time to get back to the Send Central draft rankings as we inch closer, hopefully inch and not centimeter closer because we still don't have the date of the draft announced. It could be in November, but we're acting as though it's in June. Either way, all the prospects are done playing, so not too much can change. So uh, if you haven't been able to catch any of our top 50 so far, You can go back and download those episodes. But now we are well into the first round. We are starting today with pick number 27. Carter Savoie makes it here on our list. But Pilsy, you've had some uh, some beef with this one. Well, I wouldn't say beef, but uh, this is a guy, I think he's got good potential. And I mean, he's put he put up 99 points in 54 games in the AJHL uh, last season with the Sherwood Park Crusaders. Um, one thing that I do like about uh, Savoie is he's committed to University of Denver in the fall. We all know what, uh, what a great program they have there. But for me, this is a guy that... You know he's he's not as small as some of the other uh, wingers we've seen so far at five foot ten, 181 pounds. But I feel like this is a high floor, low ceiling type of guy, and I just think with the Sens, uh, they're definitely going to be, or at least I think they're going to be taking two forwards with those first two first round picks. I think it makes more sense to either reach for a defenseman or try to get a, a forward with a lot of upside and try to uh, really hit a home run with that pick. Since you have so many picks, it's worth trying to take big swings at some other guys. So a, a guy like Savoie, I think he's he's going to help out a team that uh, that needs a safer pick and has the time to develop them. So for me, I don't think he's a guy that uh, the Sens should really go for at this point. Yeah, and this is a guy that, I mean, has gone around a little bit in, you know, the ranking system. And there's a couple different ways you can look at a guy. Yeah, he's safe, so he can play in the NHL. He's a guy that could get there one day for you. But also, what are you looking for in a first-rounder? You want some bang for your buck. You don't exactly want a guy that's just going to play in the National League, right? That kind of slots into the bottom six forward, maybe, or bottom nine, I guess. You could look at middle six, you know. But elite prospects, they got him at 20th. Central Scouting in North America has got him at 50th. So this is a guy that can go up and down. Uh, It's hard to say what he's going to do. His skating needs some work, and that just doesn't really fit today's NHL. Yeah, that's a very fair statement. I'm intrigued of what he's going to do next year at Denver. I think we'll get a better read on his potential from there. Yeah. It's, it's hard to judge, really, based on the Junior A competition. And I would have said that the same with Jacob Bernard Docker. When he goes to Ottawa, he sure. was out, out of that same league. And then you see him excel at, uh, at North Dakota. So 
the only problem for NHL teams is they don't get that luxury because he will get drafted. It's just a matter of where, not if. Um, so I, I'm curious to see how, how this, uh, this trend continues. A, a note as well, his younger brother might already have the ups on him. His younger brother just got drafted first overall into the WHL. Uh, he's younger, just a 16-year-old. So um, keep an eye out for him in the 2022 draft. But before that, um, his brother will get picked. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure if I like him for the Sens so much, but uh, he definitely does have offensive capabilities. So from from that aspect, he he's a guy who somebody's going to take a pick on. But Pilsy, I want to challenge what you said about maybe the Sens not being a good team to go to if, if you're looking for value um, late in that first round with that third, maybe fourth pick, their own second rounder. Are you saying that you maybe want that one to be a defenseman or just somebody who uh, is a little more high risk, high reward? Both. I mean, in that order, too. I would say it's because unless uh, we talked about it a little last episode, unless the Sens are going to reach on a defenseman like Drysdale, Sanderson or some of those guys, it's very likely they're going to take two forwards. Um, so then you know they need to shore up their defense specifically on the right-hand side. I mean, they've got some prospects, Lassie Thompson, JBD, uh, even, even Zub. I don't think you could call him a prospect, but he's a right-hand shot defenseman coming up through the pipes. But I think they need a guy who they can really hope and bank on being a top-pair guy with Thomas Shabbat. So I think that's where they need to focus the third first-round pick on. But if they are going to go with the forward with that pick, I want someone with more upside. I want someone who um, they're taking a high risk on, but they think it's going to pay off because he's got a high ceiling. Whereas I think maybe you go for some of the safer picks in the second round. Once, uh, once the draft order is kind of slotted down and you know, defensemen have been taken and uh, stuff like that. So that's all I'm saying there. Nothing against Savoie. I think he's going to be a decent player in the NHL. I just would prefer the Sens go a different direction. The good news is that there's tons of defensemen that we have available around this time. And our next one going at 26 is Lucas Cormier, the uh, young defenseman out of the Quebec League, playing for Charlottetown in PEI. He's a New Brunswick native. He's 5'10", 170 pounds. Um, A lot of people think that he's going to be a dynamic offensive type defenseman. And partly his numbers last year in the queue uh, for the past two seasons, I should say, would certainly point in that direction. Absolutely, Ross. When I look at this player, he excites me a lot because he reminds me a lot of Tory Krug. Around the same size, and you can say the same things about them. Their feet are what create deception. They can create so many plays out of their own end because you really don't know which way they're going to go. They're so effective using their feet with their puck on their stick, and they make it look effortless. I can see this guy turning into a real good power play quarterback down the line or at least a guy that you don't mind throwing out there on your second unit when you're using a second defenseman he can move the puck well everybody's saying he's able to put up points but it's his footwork with the puck on his stick that's effortless and makes him a really really intriguing prospect i'm pretty high on this kid and pilsy yeah scott wheeler who's obviously opinion we we respect a lot he's at the athletic um what he he quotes him as saying that he, he's a guy who's driven the results for this Charlottetown team at the ages of 16 and 17. So does that just kind of make you giddy at what his ceiling could potentially be? Absolutely. And a guy who, you know, with defensemen, they they take a big stock in knowing that they're a guy that the coach wants to put out uh, over and over, shift and shift again, and in high-pressure uh, situations. So 
a guy who's comfortable playing on the first pair, even in junior, obviously the level of competition ramps up and being a first pair defenseman uh, means a lot more in the American League and in the NHL. Um, but yeah, it's, it's music to my ears for sure. And what I like about this guy, Ross is, uh, quite opposite to what I liked about Braden Schneider yesterday. Uh, we identified him as more of a, a first pass guy, a guy that can get that first pass and really start the play. Lucas Cormier, he prefers to carry the puck himself. And probably you talked about his smooth skating. That's exactly why he does that because he knows he can get those good strides in and uh, carry the puck himself while the rest of his teammates get set up and um, follow into the blue line after him. And I can see this guy being a good power play defenseman in the future because he just like his stick handling is so good. He can walk the line nicely and he's not afraid to dangle through a couple defensemen at the line uh, blue line when he's carrying the puck too, which Probably won't work out as well in the NHL, but at least he has that confidence and he knows he has the skating and stick handling ability to do that where he doesn't need to dump and chase or make a risky pass every time. So that's something that uh, I definitely like about Lucas Cormier. And Ross, I'm surprised you didn't think he plays uh, in the WHL. Lucas spelt with a K instead of a C. So uh, that must have thrown you off his scent a little. Yeah, he mixes it up definitely. But when you <laughs> when you see Cormier, you automatically think uh, more Quebec, East Coast. And uh, he is from a French-speaking area in New Brunswick, Saint-Marie-de-Kent. So he definitely has that uh, in his background. Always need to point out with defensemen, he is a left shot. Um, so that's just kind of some background information on here. We're going to stay in the queue for moving on to our next pick at number 25. And just like pilsey has got a bit of an affinity with uh, Kelowna because he spent time there. I spent two years living in Halifax. So as a, a Halifax native and member of the Halifax Mooseheads, I have to have some respect here for Justin Barron. He's losing a bit of respect, though, in terms of scout rankings. Like He went down... Um, he went down a lot, 16 spots on uh, Wheeler's rankings from the start of the year to his midseason rankings, which he has him at 38, so way in the second round. So we've got him a lot higher than most there. A lot of talk that his numbers went the wrong way, right? He missed three months um, due to an injury with a blood clot, so not easy to come back from. He's a good skater, but... Are you worried with the fact, I'll go to Parley first with this one, are you worried with the fact that he went from 41 points and a plus 42 to 19 points, albeit in almost half the games, but a minus 19? I think it's interesting to note that this guy, I mean, I think a lot of his his drop-off is just because of the injury scares. Who knows what this could turn into for him. But one thing that I've noticed on him, dynamic skater, dynamic offensively, but... Who knows if he can turn it into a top end. He's got top end mobility, but his playmaking, it may just be um, attributed to his ability to move the puck up ice so efficiently in at the junior level. Um, a lot of scouts aren't sold on the fact that he's going to be able to put up points at the NHL level. So that's one of his big things in the in the in the queue, like you mentioned. But then his numbers dropped off pretty badly. Uh, who knows if it was a anything to do with his injuries or um, his health scares or what? But yeah, this is a guy that uh, was able to put the puck in the net. But who knows if he's going to be able to do it at the next level because he's not going to be such a top end skater at that level. His skating is the reason why guys like Wheeler, Wheeler had him 13th on the entire draft board mm -hmm. going into the season. So 
people were extremely high on him and it just so happened and it, one player isn't going to be the difference of whether a team rebuilds but Halifax went into a full-fledged rebuild this year they were like dead last after making it to the finals last season like Justin Barron played 23 playoff games in the queue last year right so that's a ton of exposure all these scouts are getting to see him and and play well and then as as Halifax has to rebuild he's kind of stuck not only battling back from from a health scare but he's got to you know really be a leader on that team as a 17 year old so that's a lot of pressure on a kid. I think he's the kind of guy who needs to go in to the proper situation. I don't know if uh, if Ottawa is the, the team for that because Halifax is going to be rebuilding next year. It's likely he's going to be back there too. I think he's a bit more of a project than was originally um, considered of him. So that might be why he falls, Pilsy. Where would you, you land on Justin Barron? I actually kind of disagree with you there, Ross. I think um, I think the biggest reason he he fell it's you can chalk it all up to this blood clot uh, issue. And like I'm no doctor for sure, so I I don't fully understand uh, the blood clots and the issues there. But it's it's something that is gonna kind of be a, a smudge on his uh, draft ranking because teams are a little bit worried about that, right? But Let's let's not be all doom and gloom. Like players have played with blood clots. Uh, a a guy uh, who had it for a long time, Thomas Fleischman. You guys remember him? Um, he played for, as well. Yeah, there was there was a handful of players that have played with it. But from my understanding, the biggest risks if you're playing sports, especially professionally, like as your job on a day to day basis, while you're on blood thinners, is if you get an injury and uh, let's say you get a cut or or some sort of uh, something like that, since you're on blood thinners, obviously your blood isn't going to clot as easily and you can uh, risk losing a lot of blood, especially if it's a serious injury. So that's something scary. I mean, we all remember Chris Bosch uh, had to retire because of his blood clot problems. He was in uh, good physical health, according to him, and he felt like he could keep playing, but the heat wouldn't allow him to because it was such a risk, right? But I want to stick to um, the hockey side of Justin Barron because he checks off all the boxes for me and I can see why Wheeler had him so high before uh, the blood clot problem uh, caused him to miss three months because he's a defenseman. First off, right-hand shot, good size at six foot two, about 195 pounds. And he does things simple. He has a strong two-way game. He's, he's not going to be flashy. He's not going to put up the huge numbers that you would hope a guy in junior uh, that's touted as a top 15 pick is going to put up. But he does all those little things right, which is crucial to having a long career in the NHL as a as a defenseman, especially if he wants to be a top four guy. So it depends really how you feel about this blood clot issue and if you think it's going to be an issue and if you think it's worth taking a risk on. Because other than that, yeah, this, this guy seems like the perfect guy for the Sens to draft with that first uh, the third first round pick. So it's going to be really interesting to see what happens here. I mean, it's kind of a similar situation to Henry Lapierre, right? So we're going to see where teams decide he slots in and who's going to take a risk on that. And either it could pay off beautifully. They could have a NHL caliber defenseman for a long time, or it becomes a major issue and cuts Barron's career short. I want to focus on one thing you said, Pilsy, and that's the right shot aspect because typically that's a rarity to find uh, a solid right shot defense, and right, they're always in need. So between Schneider, who we talked about yesterday, right shot D, 
I'm really curious to see who goes first between he, Justin Barron, and a guy we'll get to tomorrow, a Swedish defenseman who also shoots right. So to me, those three and their order is going to be very intriguing. I think they're all first-round talents, but which way they go is going to mean a lot. And we'll get to that Swedish defenseman and two more in our rankings tomorrow. But to recap today, Carter Savoie we have at 27. We have Lucas Cormier at 26 and Justin Barron at 25. So two defensemen, 25, 26, and then Carter Savoie, the forward going to Denver at 27. That's it for us today. For Brandon Piller and Chris Parliament, I'm Ross Levitan. This has been the Locked On Senators podcast, your team every day.